Well, thank you, Zelvin, and uh, good morning, everyone. As you probably have gathered, um, Pat is on a, a well-earned uh, break at the moment, and any time a pastor takes leave, it's, it's well-earned. So we're uh, praying for him and, and with him that uh, he'll have a refreshing and restful time and, and return to us uh, renewed and strengthened. Um, so the message that I'm bringing this morning is actually one that Pat uh, has asked me to bring it again. I, I gave it about a month ago at our evening service. So if you were present on that occasion about a month ago, then uh, it's, cause it's going to be pretty similar. In fact, you might like to play a, a little a game uh, called Spot the Difference. Um, so see if you can notice what's different, what's pre-written, what happens on the spot. Uh, and actually, if you could do me a favour, a big favour, and just laugh at all the same jokes, I would really appreciate it. We're looking today at the topic of worship, and we're focusing on a text in Exodus, uh, chapter 14 and 15. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, or you prefer to access a digital version, then you can prepare that, Exodus chapter 14. We're going to start right at the end of the chapter and go through into um, about verse 21 of chapter 15. And uh, I would really like to read the whole thing together, if that's all right with you. It's, uh, it's going to be uh, up on the screen there. So what's just happened prior to this is that Israel has experienced the salvation of God through the Red Sea. They've, uh, the, the seas parted miraculously. They've gone through and Pharaoh's army was crushed. And uh, this is the response. So from verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries and you send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever 
and ever. And so that section there, we're told that they sung. And I don't know if everybody just knew the lyrics or if they you know, had a, a word sheet passed around or anything like that. Uh, but there you go. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. We're grateful this morning for the word of the Lord, and and we pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would come and and speak to us uh, as you want to and uh, glorify yourself. So we're speaking about uh, worship this morning, and this is a response. This song of Israel and this song of Miriam is a a response to what God has done. Now, when we talk about worship, normally what we mean is what happens when the band starts playing on a Sunday. But biblically, worship is a lot broader than that. If we look at Romans 12, it says, you know, therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you by the mercies of God to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. And so worship is a lot more than just picking up the instruments, singing on a Sunday. In fact, what you do when you go home is worship. Anytime you are serving God, anytime you are acting in obedience to him, anytime you are loving your neighbors, anytime you're praying, Anytime you are confessing your faith, anytime you are exercising your gifts, you are in worship of God. And the reason is that the point of worship is to bring glory to God. Underneath absolutely every part of worship is that God deserves glory and our worship is intended to bring him glory. And that doesn't only happen when we pick up instruments and start singing. It happens in all those other occasions as well. And you know, this this idea is actually tied up with the fact that God has created us in his own image. The imago Dei, if you were to look through how humans have spoken about this idea throughout history, the image of God. You know, it says in Genesis 1.27, which I believe, it's a bit further, yeah. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female He created them. Now, what's the purpose of an image? Why does anyone put up an image? Why does somebody paint a painting of a scenery? Or why does somebody carve a statue of a person? Well, the point of an image is to image its its subject. And the idea is that it's meant to bring glory to the subject of that image. And if, if I can give you a somewhat uh, profane example, um, if there are any blue supporters here, trigger warning. Um, obviously, it was a terrific game during the week, and we're very pleased about the results, and I'm sure God was glorified in the, <laughs> in the game whenever the Maroons win, um, because this, you know, good versus evil, triumph. Um, <laughs> I joke, I joke. Yeah, you're all welcome here. Um, Obviously, this is the statue of Wally Lewis, uh, the king outside of Suncorp Stadium, Fortress Maroon. And uh, this, what's the point of this image? What's the purpose? Well, it's to commemorate, to, to bring glory in a, in a worldly sense to one of the greatest people that's ever played 
that game. And there's obviously some skill that's gone into the construction of that image, but when you look at it, you're meant to think about the, the player, about Wally Lewis and, and remember some of his you know, exploits as a, as a player on the field. And you know, if, if we can create a, a painting that's meant to glorify the, the scene uh, that we're looking at, or if, or if we can carve a sculpture that's meant to glorify somebody and, and their exploits, a still inanimate object that can't do anything, how much more are we meant to glorify God, we who are made in God's image as living, breathing people, beings, each one of us individual, of all of the billions of people that live right now and that have ever lived and that will live, you are unique. No one looks like you, speaks like you, thinks like you. No one has the same gifts as you. No one has the same set of circumstances to shape who they are as you do. How great is our God that he can create that many living statues of himself, images which are designed to glorify him. And you know, it's not just the purpose of us, it's, it's actually the purpose of all of creation. All of creation is designed to bring glory to God. If we look at Isaiah 43, verses 6 to 7, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. See, every single one of us is created to, to reflect the image of God and to glorify him. And somewhere along the way, that got tarnished. And if you haven't found yet what your purpose in life is, well, it's because you haven't found your creator yet. And you haven't seen that actually your purpose is to reflect his image and to glorify him. Is it selfish on God's part to demand that glory from creation? Some people might say that it would, but I don't think so. Because if he is the one who's created everything, he is over and above everything, how, how can he not deserve that glory? How can he not be praised? And you know what? As Jesus enters Jerusalem and people are crying out, Hosanna to the king. People are laying down their cloaks. People are laying down palm branches on the ground as he's riding through. He is receiving glory like, like no one has ever seen in Jerusalem, right? A, a humble son of a carpenter receiving that Glory. He's not a king in the worldly sense there, and yet he receives that glory. And then, and then the Pharisees rebuke, uh, rebuke him and they say, Jesus, you need to rebuke your disciples. This is inappropriate. I'm not sure if you've got your theology right here, but they shouldn't be giving that kind of praise. And Jesus' response to them is, if these ones were silent, the rocks would start speaking. Because church, creation knows its job. Creation knows its job. The universe, the stars, the world, the seas, the fish, the birds, they know their job. And that is to bring glory to God. And I'm not sure if your heart starts burning when you think, you know what, that's my purpose as well. And you know what's even better about that is that our purpose to glorify God is, is tied up together as a community, but it's also individual. Because God has a plan laid out before you, which is your purpose and your path in order to glorify God. What an incredible thing we are called to, church. So worship is meant to bring God glory. And whenever we do something that glorifies God, well, that's worship. 
So how can we bring God glory in worship? Well, this morning we're going to look at three things that can be expressed uh, through worship. I think this is a, it's a pretty good list, but I wouldn't say that it's necessary, necessarily all of it. The first one is that worship is an expression of praise. The second is that worship is an expression of faith. And the third is that worship is an expression of gifts. Before we just launch into this, we just need to agree on something, though, because we are going to narrow what we're talking about to kind of the church experience, right? We know worship is broader, but this morning we're talking specifically what happens here during a worship service. And the first thing to to have kind of as a presupposition is that just because somebody's worship looks different to yours doesn't make it wrong. Okay, we tend to walk around with this prejudice and with this bias that, you know, I really like the way that I do things and the way that my church does things. And when you go to another church, it's like, well, why do they do that? That's a bit funny. Well, to show us kind of how, how ridiculous that assumption is, if you were to simply go to any other country, their worship looks different to yours. Can you demand that they do exactly what you do? Can you go to a, a church in the slums of Africa and demand that they, uh, you know, start using proper proper instruments? No. Western, Western instruments? No. And I think that we, we probably need to realize that there's a lot more variation even in our own culture and even in our own setting and, and geography here. Just because somebody's worship looks different to yours doesn't make it wrong. Okay, firstly, worship is an expression of praise. So God's people in Exodus are responding to his character and his deeds through a song of praise, which praise his attributes and his actions. The first five verses say, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk into the sea. The floods covered them, and they went down into the depths like a stone. And so they're praising what God has done. They're responding to God's actions. Verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And so they're singing and they're praising his attributes, what he is like. If we look at Ezekiel 20, Uh, verses 8 to 9, it says, Then I thought I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. You see, God's actions in intervening have a dual purpose. Obviously, he's trying to uh, influence what's going on and bring some kind of justice or peace for the sake of the people who are involved. But at the same time, he's acting for the sake of his own name, for the sake of the glory that is due to him. And if we look at a prayer of Jesus in in John chapter 12, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And so even in the moment where Jesus is looking fearfully towards his gruesome uh, path on the cross, The purpose of that on the cross is to bring God glory. And you might say, well, no, isn't the purpose actually to save people? Well, yes, it's true. And isn't it to defeat death? Well, yes, that's true. And isn't it to to purchase, to to, to bring Jesus uh, to the position of authority so that he can be the judge? 
Yes, that's true. But at the same time, all of those things bring glory to God. And you know what an incredible truth is? Is that God's glory is best displayed in his love for his people. Right? God's glory is best displayed when he's demonstrating his love for his people. And the reason that that is so wonderful is that actually you and I don't deserve it. Right? God's chosen to do that because of his grace and because of his kindness. And, and this is why worship, we can't make it about ourselves. And there are some, some pits that we fall into that tends to make worship about ourselves. Like when we leave the service and we go, oh, you know what, I just didn't like any of the songs that we sung this morning. Well, that's all right because we weren't worshipping you. <clears throat> or when we choose songs or, or sing songs that, that are a bit too much about me, they're a bit too kind of focused on, on me and not on God. But I need to add a caveat there because singing songs that extol the, the attributes and the actions of God are not the only way that God gets glory. There is room within our song selection for a wider variety of songs than simply those that praise the name and that sing about God's attributes. And if you want a biblical reference for that, you can see um, Psalms 1 through 150. The, the another thing that can happen where we make worship about ourselves is that uh, if worship becomes a performance, and this is a, a particular pitfall for anyone who has a, a gift that God has given them, which is designed for the use of service of the church, particularly if it involves stepping up on a, on a stage like this, is the, the pitfall is to step into pride and, and to start making it about a performance, and we can't do that. But there's another caveat here, because we tend to confuse excellence with pride. Just because something is done well doesn't mean that it's stealing God's glory. In fact, God is most glorified when the people who have, right, he's given us gifts, right? God is most glorified when those gifts are used to their fullest extent and when somebody actually pursues growing that gift to its fullest extent, to be used in, in, in humility and with the anointing of the Spirit Why? Because that gift has been given for the sake of the church and not for them. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the the next point where worship is is an expression of gifts. But uh, without sidetracking too much, there is an art to uh, receiving encouragement and and compliments for for worship or or for any kind of gift that um, ends up uh, in this setting on the stage, whether that's, you know, preaching or, or worship or, or, or anything else. And um, I've, this has been a journey for me. I've, I've been a worship leader for, for about 14 years now, and, and I've decided to adopt Zelvin's phrase on this, which he actually stole from Chick-fil-A in the U.S., and that is to respond with, you know what, it's, it's my pleasure. It's, it's my pleasure to serve in this way. And there's no need to, to reject someone's encouragement with some level of, you know, false humility, as though, you know, you undermine that person's encouragement. What if somebody's got the gift of encouragement and you say, no, 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 don't, don't encourage me, don't praise me? Well, you know, there are 24 elders around the throne of God, each of whom have been given a crown, and they wear that crown, and there is glory in that crown. 
The point is not to reject the encouragement and the affirmation of other people. The point is, what do you do with that crown? What do the elders do? They throw those crowns at the feet of Jesus. And so when you receive encouragement, it doesn't have to be for worship, at any time you're using your gifts and you're receiving encouragement, you say, it's my absolute pleasure to serve. I'm so glad that you were blessed by that. That's really encouraging. How great a God we serve. And then you go home and you find a quiet place and you say, Lord, this crown, it's all yours. And you lay it at the feet of Jesus. And we need to pursue doing things well with humility and with the anointing of God's spirit. So we express praise and God gets glory. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is that worship is an expression of faith. If we have a look at the early part of Exodus, uh, chapter 14, uh, verse, uh, where are we, 20, 30? Oh, it is up there. Thank you. So thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. They saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And we know that this uh, verb for believe is the same as the word family for faith. Uh, And if you were here, we had a, a series earlier in the year on faith. And we learned that faith has a couple of different emphases as it's being used, particularly in, in the language of the, the New Testament. There's a sense that um, faith is faith in. That is faith in someone, in something. And that is that your faith is placed in God. And when you place your faith in Jesus, it is in God. The second one is faith that, which is the contents of your faith. I believe that this is true. That's kind of like the statement of creed. But the third thing is that faith is faith for. That we are meant to have faith for God to do things. And there's a a relationship there that God actually responds to that kind of faith. And we saw in that series that uh, of the 31 instances in the New Testament where faith is used in direct connection to miracles, out of 31 times, 29 of them are in the mouth of Jesus. So it is Jesus' emphasis, I believe, that he's building on the Old Testament understanding of faith in and faith that, that you can have security in your faith, in order to believe for. And Jesus wants us to bring our faith so that God can respond. And you know why? Because God gets glory when we express our faith. And if God comes and responds miraculously, God gets glory. And that is worship. How appropriate is that in worship? And so we can sing songs that express all aspects of that faith. You know, we sang one this morning, an expression of of praise, all hail King Jesus, all hail the Lord of heaven and earth. We can sing songs that express uh, a faith that, our statement of creed, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. We can express faith in and the uh, Uh, The bridge of that song as well, I believe in you. I believe you rose again. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you know what? It is also appropriate for us to sing songs that are about faith for, that actually welcome God and invite God to respond to that faith. 
And so a song that says, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe you're going to do it again, is absolutely appropriate for us to be singing. Now, I don't believe that all songs written in that vein quite get it right. But we can be expressing faith for God to move in that setting. And I'm not sure if you, if you can see what potential is unlocked by this in worship. Right? There's such potential in the fact that we can express our faith for in worship. And you know what? Jesus loves that. How many times does he say in, in the New Testament, you know, daughter, your faith has made you well? Or he says of the centurion's servants, never have I seen such faith in all of Israel. And it's in direct connection to God responding miraculously. You know, some of the most powerful worship times that I've been a part of have actually had nothing to do with, with me or, or with the team on stage, but actually with the faith of the people in the room. And the, the people come in and they're just so alive to worship God and to express their faith that that faith is, is contagious around the room. And then, you know, we start playing and just the Holy Spirit takes over because God responds to the faith in the room. And I wonder if we can be a church like that, that when we come and, and when we sing, it's, it's, it's actually not about the band up here who are serving us. It's about the faith that we bring, about the faith that we proclaim to our God. And, you know, it's why I love singing songs like one we've picked up recently. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. For I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Anything you believe can happen in prayer, you should believe can happen in worship. If you can pray for somebody to, to receive God into their life, if you can pray for them to receive peace, if you can pray for God to move in their situation, if you can pray for them to be healed, then you can believe that that can happen during worship. And if you want a biblical reference for that, see Psalms 1 through to 150. Can we be a church like that? And, you know, sometimes we come to worship and we're not necessarily uh, in a great place ourselves, but it's an opportunity to cry out to God and for God to actually minister to us through the worship. Sometimes we come and we are in a great place and praise God for that, but we can bring faith to that worship for our brothers and sisters who are seated here next to us who need God to move. And so when we sing those songs, we can bring to mind the people that we know in our congregation or perhaps our friends or family or our unsaved uh, people that we know at, at work or, or social clubs or whatever it might be. And you can believe that God is going to move through how we worship. So worship is an expression of faith. And then lastly, worship is an expression of gifts. And this is why just because somebody's worship looks different to yours doesn't mean it's wrong because worship should look different from church to church. And just quickly, we're going to have a look at how gifts work. Ephesians 4, he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and that shepherd is uh, sometimes translated as pastor, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And so we can see here that God has actually given gifts to, to people in order to give them to the church. 
The point of gifts is that the church is built up. And every single person here has been given a gift by God that is designed to be used to build up the church. And whenever you use that gift, regardless of whether it's up here you know, on an instrument or you know, serving in, in kids' church or, or, or serving in any of the midweek gatherings or whatever it might be, that's worship. Because you're using the gift that God's given you to bring him glory. Uh, next verse. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. There is a direct command from God there to strive to excel to build up the church. Use your gifts to build up the church. And then finally, we see back in our passage in Exodus. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hands. All the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. And so Miriam here is a worship leader. She's leading Israel in worship, singing this song to them. Um, she's clearly got gifts in you know, singing and dancing and, and playing the tambourine. But she's also called a prophetess. And this is the only instance in Scripture where Miriam is called a prophetess, and it's in the direct context of leading worship. Right? Because a prophetic gift has a rightful place in worship and in leading worship. And, you know, coincidentally, all of those other things, singing, dancing, playing tambourines, well, they're appropriate in worship too. So if you want to find Kate after the service and say, I'd like to audition for the tambourine spot on the worship team, I, for one, I'm glad that we <laughs> have moved beyond the tambourine. Um, if you play the tambourine, I love you. Um, anyway. Can you see that uh, Miriam's prophetic gift is designed to be used in worship? And so it is appropriate for somebody who is leading a congregation in worship to speak prophetically and to listen to the Spirit and uh, to bring that forth and for us to respond to that. But they don't have to, right? And this is why worship looks different from church to church is because every local expression of God's church has a different set of gifts because you are all unique. And so when you walk into a new place, there are a different set of gifts present there designed for the building up of the church. So don't expect it to look like what you're used to. And don't begrudge them if they have a gift that's different to yours. You know, on occasion, we have people who can uh, paint prophetically, who, who paint uh, an image that then can speak into a, a message prophetically. And that's great. Not every church has that. And we're blessed to have people here with those gifts. Some churches don't have anyone who has the gift of drumming. And that's fine. Whatever is the, the set of gifts that God has given to a local expression is appropriate for them to not only use but to grow and to explore. And so the purpose for us here as a church is to use our gifts, this unique set that God has given us, to do what? To bring him glory because that is the point of worship. So what does it mean for us? Firstly, worship is an expression of praise. God cannot not be praised, and the result is his glory. We were created to glorify him. And perhaps there's somebody here or some people here who, who haven't figured that out yet, who haven't discovered that your purpose is actually to bring God glory. 
And you know, a singer once said that there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. And until you find that, until you're able to fill that void, or you, you try to fill that void with lots of other things, but until it's filled with God, it's just unsatisfied. And you know, there's a great story written by uh, Max Lucado, which is a, you know, we read it to our kids. It's called You Are Special. And it's the story of um, this craftsman who's made these kind of wooden creatures. And there's one whose name is is Punchinello. And and this society works the way that if you want to affirm somebody, you you want to see them doing something awesome, like they do a cartwheel in the street and you're like, you're awesome. You give them a sticker, a star. But then if you see someone doing something a bit daft, then you give them a dot instead. And so everybody walks around plastered on their wooden bodies, their reputation of stars or dots. And this one guy, Punchinello, just can't do anything right. And he's covered in dots because he just keeps doing things that are a bit, well, they they don't meet the standard of the society around him. And I wonder if you feel like that. I wonder if you feel like it doesn't matter what you do, you can't gain any approval. There's something missing in your life. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, there's no way to fill that void in that God-shaped hole. Well, what happens in the story is that um, Punchinello sees a girl who has no dots and stickers on her at all. In fact, somebody tries to put a sticker on her and it just falls off. And then he asks her, how does this happen? And she says, you need to go and see the maker. And when he goes to see the, the, the craftsman who made him, the craftsman starts telling him about how he made him, about who he is, and about the worth and the value that he has. And then some of the stickers just start to fall off. Because you know that the disapproval and the condemnation and the loneliness and the, un, uh, the unhappiness, the lack of joy in your life begins to melt away once you realize what your creator has intended for you. It's not until we realize who our maker is and how he's made us and the fact that we are in his image designed to glorify him that we live a life that's actually full of joy, abundant, overflowing, lived for the glory of God. And if there's anyone here who hasn't figured that out this morning, then I'm going to invite you to decide to follow Jesus because that's how it happens. It's a statement of faith to say, you know what, I believe, God, that that's what you have for me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross in order to save me from my own sin and from uh, this world. And if that's you, in in a moment, as we pray, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. So we express praise, God gets glory. We express faith, God responds to our faith, and God gets glory. We express gifts, the church is built up to maturity, and God gets glory. And I wonder if we can learn to express the fullness of that thankfulness and that praise, the fullness of that faith and the fullness of those gifts. Would you close your eyes as as we come to pray? And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have designed us to be your image, to glorify you. And Father, if there there is uh, anyone here who doesn't know that, I pray that you would be prompting them by your spirit now that they would know that you love them, that they have worth, 
that you have a plan for them, that you've purchased them at a price, not because we deserve it, but because you are good. And if that is anyone here, I just ask you as, a, as an expression of that faith and of that trust in God to just quickly put your hand in the air so that we can pray for you and, and encourage you. Everybody's eyes are closed. We're not embarrassed or, or um, disappointed if, if no one responds because we believe that every opportunity should be taken for somebody to know Jesus. So if that's you, then just throw your hand quickly in the air. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have made your church with gifts that are designed to bring you glory. And we pray that we can come together, that we can sing your praise, that we can express our faith, and that we can bring glory to you. You are good, God. You are so good. And we're not going to let any rocks cry out louder than our hearts. Because you've not only made us, you've saved us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.